Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. This is our title for the next three weeks. Simple but selfish. The reason relationships fail is because we are selfish. That is the reason they fail. And even with my wife and myself in this, you know, this first part of the year, we've had a couple of good fights. There's a bit more friction than usual. Obviously, the kids' fault. And it's because they're selfish. And I'm just making a joke. But having a bit more friction than usual, and any one of the fights or stuff that happened or conflict that we had this year, it boiled down to one of us or both of us being selfish and that manifesting in a certain way. Irrelevant of what it is. Inevitably, selfishness is woven into that. Someone was selfish, unwilling to yield, unwilling to serve, unwilling to love, unwilling to bend, unwilling to give themselves fully. Inevitably, each and every thing that we experience when relationships break down will boil to, down to some kind of selfishness and we'll look at selfishness manifests in a lot of ways but we'll look at three main things these three weeks as we go through that and then at the end we'll also have a lovely panel discussion as we learn from some of the relationships in our church as well but the main three ways that it manifests is the first intentionality and the, the funny thing with intentionality is selfishness will manifest both in intentionality and in unintentionality and how that works is if it's a selfish intentionality is I want something from my wife or I want something from my husband or even just a friend at work or whatever it might be. So now all of a sudden I'm very intentional with that relationship. I think we all can you know, think of an idea where we've maybe done the same. Kids do this to parents. All of a the sudden they're very nice. You know, when I see my little boy and I guess, hello, Papa, hello. <laughs> then I know something's going to follow. Hello, Vian Nana. Oh, okay. That's, that's why he was so, so nice to me. I took a Nana. He wants something. That's why he comes to me. That's why he's being intentional in this relationship all of a sudden. And he's one and a half years old. We learn this from a young, young age. I think all of us can, you know, in some kind of way or another, resonate with that idea. We're intentional sometimes when we want something. All of a sudden, we're caring for a wife. All of a sudden, she looks lovely. And it doesn't take the wife long and men being simple normally irritates them because they know what we want most of the times. And when a wife does the same thing, all of a sudden, you know, she's there with the husband and he, he also looks nice and my man, he doing so good and stuff happens. And then also when all of a sudden the intentionality falls away, it's also selfishness. Because now I don't want anything anymore, therefore I'm not intentional in pursuing this relationship. I'm not going to tell you how nice you look and how great you are because I don't want something at the moment. So when every intentionality falls away, selfishness being manifest in one way or another. Maybe something else has taken priority. Something else I want more, someone else I want to spend more time with, something else that I, I'd rather be intentional about. Different devotions that we have in life and all of a sudden the wife or the husband, their place of devotion shifts down a little bit and something else takes their place. Because I want that now. 
But relationships fail because we are selfish, not because it's difficult to understand. For those of us, maybe if you can see some hands, who here was at marriage prep and enrichment yesterday and the day before? Now, the concepts that we discussed with one another, was it difficult to understand? No. There wasn't something that we went, you know, I don't quite understand that. And yes, with relationships and the purposes of marriage and all of that kinds of things, yes, there's stuff that's difficult, a bit more difficult than others to understand, but mainly it's simple, specifically the basic things. Especially when it comes down to our responsibility as a husband or a wife and how we need to do that. It's fairly simple. It's not something that we struggle to understand. But now to ask the same question, when it came to the part of intentionally doing that, turning to one another, telling them, hey, I, I need to confess because I didn't take responsibility in this area. But actually, when I'm honest with myself, I've, I've lacked intentionality in this area. I need to repent. Or when the script was flipped a little bit and we had to tell one another where we think we fail. That was nice, ne? It wasn't a great exercise. And pride starts to boil up in. Thank you, we'll drive claim, Vicky Leafy. That was a bit more difficult. And again, we see the concept is easy to grasp, but the action is difficult to do sometimes because selfishness gets in the way. I'm going to read to us a definition of selfishness. It says, lacking consideration for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Consider a lack of consideration for other people, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Now when we take that statement or meaning of selfishness and we apply it to relationships, then obviously we, it makes sense that selfishness is the reason that relationships fail. Not only is it the reason that relationships fail, but selfishness can also be like an antithesis for Christian relationships. It's the direct opposite. As we'll read now again, manifest in manifest form, what we are supposed to display to this world is the relationship between Jesus and the church. That is relationships. That is Christian relationship at its most basic definition. What did Jesus come and do? It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did he come and do that? It's what Luke preached about this morning. He came and he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to willingly place my will aside and submit to the will of the Father and come and lay down my life in service for the church. Selfless submission and service. That is what Jesus came to do. I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Selfless service. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. How do we submit to God? What is the call of a Christian? Lay down your life, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. A willing laying down of self, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. A willingly setting myself aside so that I could submit to the purpose of Christ in selfless service. That is what we are called to display. That is why selfishness is the antithesis to Christian relationships. It just doesn't work. We are called to be selfless in the way we love the people around us. Not only our spouses, not only the people that we are in relationship with, but even our brothers and sisters in Christ that's with us in small group, our parents, our colleagues, every relationship that we have 
it manifests selfless service. Willingly, as we willingly do this. You know, one of the things that me and my wife has realized just this last couple of years, as we've done marriage prep and enrichment with a couple of couples last year in lockdown. We did it with five over Zoom. It was quite nice. Some of them sitting here tonight. And what we just realize again and again is again this principle that relationships are simple. It's not a difficult thing to comprehend. And even when it comes to understanding one another and identifying the ways that we can serve one another in love. Now, whenever we sit down and there's a couple in front of us and we say, okay, but wife, what can you do to show your husband love in a way that he understands, in a way that he, he gets it, you know, this is his love languages, this is something that he would like. And easily, in a couple of seconds, the, the ideas pop up. But it's not difficult, the idea of it, once again. The actions are a bit difficult to follow through. And the same thing, the other way around. Selfishness will kill relationships. And the funny thing in the modern days we we're living in, is many relationships actually begin out of the concept of selfishness. I don't know if we realize this, but the way we think towards, you know, who would make a good relationship partner or not. How do we define that? How do we ask the question? Now, mostly love starts a bit spontaneously. I don't know if you've ever fallen intentionally. See some hands. Who falls intentionally? We don't fall intentionally. But the way we say what happened in the beginning of the relationship, what happened? We fell in love. Didn't fall intentionally. There was a bit of a spontaneous thing that happened. Yes, maybe in some cases the, the guy or the girl, they fell first. And they were a bit intentional in trying to let the other person fall as well. But mostly it happens a bit spontaneously. And then as the spontaneous process happens and we go through the motions, we begin to ask one another a couple of questions. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it should be far secondary to the main question that we should ask when it comes to relationships. When we ask stuff like, you know, are we compatible? Does this person like the same stuff I like? Are they the type of person that I want to be with? And we say stuff like, and Luke said it as well, whenever we say the phrase of stuff, you know, this person completes me. That's idolatry. Christ completes us. We're not called to complete one another because what you're saying then is, I want someone that can add what is lacking in my life. And you're placing a burden on them that they are not supposed to be. I'm not saying that if we accidentally say that because, you know, it's a cute thing to say. But if you really mean that in the way that we approach relationships, we're setting ourselves up for failure. When we say, I really like the way he does this or does this or she does that or the way she looks, feels, smells, whatever the case might be, or are we asking ourselves the question, who would be the best person to represent the relationship between Jesus and the, Christ, and the church with? Because that's a whole different question. Is this person a person of servitude, willingly laying down his life for Christ and choosing the will of the Father above his own? Because that is a great relationship partner. Because otherwise you're going to come to a place where you feel like you constantly do that. And we get that. And girls, this is for you mainly. Guys do it as well. But there's a great tendency for a girl to think, no, you know, I'll, I'll play that part and I'll willingly serve. And I know he's not following Christ as he should or at all at this point, but maybe. Maybe one day. It's not going to work. You're setting yourself up for failure. And the reason you entered that relationship is also about what you can get from it. 
Because if he's not following Christ, he can't set the example that he should. And you're not saying, Lord, your will be done. But you're saying, my will, my pleasure, that be done. That takes the forefront of, of the whole exercise. So that sets itself up for failure from the beginning. God's will, not our will, but not too much about that. And then also just before we dive in, the question that we need to consider for the singles as well. I'm going to ask us that and then we're going to go through this passage and then you answer the question for yourselves. But what is the best way to prepare yourselves well for relationship or for marriage? What is the best thing you can do? Because we many times say, no, the best thing we can do is to date. But dating actually teaches us the concept of divorce, not marriage. We'll get to that in just a moment. So let's read together from Ephesians 5, verse 21. Thirty-three. The first verse gives us a basically a summary of how this looks in every area of life for everyone. It's not speaking specifically to wives, to husbands. It's not speaking specifically to married people. It's speaking to Christians about how to live the Christian life. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Willingly serving and considering one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the way Christians are to relate with the people around them. And then it goes on to say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. A well-known passage, but one of the things that I want to ask us is, did you note the number of verbs in that passage? The number of verbs, the number of action points for us to actually go out and do love submit lay down nourish cherish respect that is all verbs that we read in this passage stuff that has action attached to it same with the word faith in the bible is actually a verb it's something that does actively do something and again when we use the example of christ and the church we can see this, that it flows out in love. You know, many times when we ask people, how is your relationship with your wife or your husband? How did it look like the last couple of weeks? What do you base that upon? It was good, it was bad. It's because we didn't fight, because we laughed. What is it? Does it manifest in the way that we served one another, actively did something together, or were actively progressing in a certain way, or towards a certain point together? It's a whole different way of looking at it, but there's a lot of verbs attached to this. And again, when we relate this to Jesus' relationship with the church, 
Imagine Jesus just had a good idea when it came to salvation. Scripture doesn't say that God really thought about coming to die for us. No, He came. God so loved the world that He sent. Jesus was so willing that He came. And He submitted to the point of obedience. Humbled Himself. And He came and He died for us on the cross. He came and He did that. It wasn't just a, a great idea. It needs to flow out in action in the same way how the church relates back to Christ. It's not only a good idea. Many times our Christianity today has evolved into a great idea. We would really want to. Or we think we should. Or we think we might. We know that Jesus did come and die for us. Yes, I have faith and I believe. But it doesn't do anything. That is not a relationship with Jesus. That is an idea about how a relationship could be. But it's not a relationship. It's actively following Christ. Doing something. That is a relationship. Actively reading, worship, pray. As I follow Him in obedience. That is a relationship with God. That is more than just a good idea. Like we read in the book of James. If your faith doesn't have any works, that faith is dead. It cannot save you. It's not a real relationship. It needs to flow out in action. And the same when it comes to relationships with the people around us. A relationship is not two people living in the same place with the same idea. It's not a relationship. But it's two people actively serving one another in love. There's an action and an intentionality of that action attached to it. That is a relationship. Actively serving. Holding hands. Going somewhere. Speaking about certain things. Connecting emotionally. But it's not just people with an idea. And I want to challenge us in the world that we live in. We think that we are what we know. Like we said last time, we are what we eat. It's not the truth. We are not what we know. It needs to move into action. And I want to challenge us as well when it comes to our relationship with God. And I want to ask us this question. What has your relationship with God led to recently? What has your faith done? What is it doing? Because if it's not doing, it's dead. It at least has to breathe. But it must do something. And I'm not saying that we should do a lot of stuff so that God can save us. No. But when we actively follow God, we will do stuff. It's like Aubrey said, you know, with Edwin's word in the beginning as well. We are called to take this foreign concept of unconditional love into a world that doesn't know it. Like Aubrey said, you know, when he speaks about mission, when he thought to himself before you were saved, why on earth would a group of people sacrifice their time, their security, their finances, and go into a strange world up in Africa and wherever to go and serve people unconditionally? But now that he has come to meet Christ and saw the unconditional love of a loving God sending his only son to die for us, the question is, why would you do anything else? How can you do anything else if that love has compelled you to go? That's what we are saying. If you really know Christ, you will go. If you really love and cherish your husband or your wife, there will be a service, there will be action attached to that, intentionality in loving one another. And again, it's found in this parable of relating to Jesus in the cross. And I just want to read through this passage again and just show you how this relates to one another. And it says, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as 
Christ is the head of the church. That word as can be like. It's like a parable that Paul is telling us here. And is himself its saviour now. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to everything, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I just want to say a couple of things, you know, when it comes to this passage of Scripture. First is a question. How did Jesus love the church? How does the church submit to Christ? And as a husband or a wife, I hope you can answer that question. Because if you can't, you must also acknowledge the fact that you're not quite sure what you're busy with at the moment. And it's okay, there's grace we can grow. And like we said, the concept of relationships is simple, but that doesn't mean we have misunderstandings regarding relationships. It doesn't mean we have a lack of understanding. We will have those things, and that's okay. We don't say that we understand everything as we should, or that we understand everything fully. But what we are saying is that the basics of the Christian relationships, when we want to know them, will be simple to comprehend. It won't be difficult to understand. If we give ourselves fully to it, it will be easy to see how it works. And now the second question for the singles. What is the best way to prepare for marriage? It is by serving Christ with everything in you. It is by following Him. Because your marriage will also be similar to that. Willingly laying yourself down in selfless service to the one that you are devoted to, your husband and your wife. And the reason why we have to learn this when it comes to Christ, and we'll have to struggle if we don't, is because if we do not learn to selflessly serve and submit to a perfect God, how will we do that to a fallen spouse? We are sinful, we are not perfect. If I cannot submit myself to the purposes of a perfect God, I will struggle when it comes to fallen human being. And we, we have to learn to serve Christ with everything in us, knowing that He is perfect and good and will never fail us. Because when it comes to marriage, I remember we were at one marriage and Werner was marrying the couple and he told the wife she must go right on her fridge that her husband will fail her. And everybody was shocked. This is moini. But it's true. I'm not here to tell you moi things. <laughs> I'm here to tell you true things. I can tell you that it'll never disappoint you and in two weeks you'll be angry with me because I lied to you. You will fail one another. You'll hurt one another. You'll be selfish. And if you didn't learn as you were following Christ, to willingly day after day say, not my will, but your will be done. And lay yourselves down to serve. You will struggle when it comes to fallen relationships. We need to learn that with God. It is the best way we will grow. But even as we read through this passage, and it basically comes down to submit to one another of reverence for Christ. Willingly consider the other one first. And everything you do, be intentional in laying yourselves down in service to the one next to you. That is the simplicity of it. But again, it comes down to a lack of intentionality because of selfishness. And one passage that I want to end off with us for, that sums it up quite well for me, our relationship with God, and if we want to grow our relationship with the people around us and our marriages, if we want them to last, summed up in this passage of Scripture. Luke 6, verse 46 to 49. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, realize when a flood came, not if, a flood might come. The flood will come. It's when it comes, not if it comes. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the one who hears these words and does them. Intentionality in doing. There's a verb, there's action. We need to go and do these things. That is a house well built. Now relationship with God as well. That is the simplicity of it. Go and do these things that I tell you to do. And again, Jesus doesn't tell us that the man who went and did these things did so because he comprehended the idea. He's like, okay, I understand and therefore I do know. There's simplicity attached to these words. Follow me and I'll make you. The call of a disciple. Simplicity. And when it came to the man that failed to do it, he doesn't say the man did not comprehend it quite well and really struggled to understand and therefore was unable to do them. No. He understood the words. But there was a lack of intentionality when it came to performing what Jesus told him to do. And therefore the house was not built well. And therefore it will fall. And for every relationship and marriage, my prayer is, and it might sound weird, but I prayed for myself as well, that if the house is not built well, that the floodwaters might come sooner rather than later. To come and show and reveal that it's built on shaky ground. How many times people have to go through that floodwaters to discover that their house was never built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. It might sound harsh, but the reason that my prayer is that it comes sooner rather than later is because the last waters that will break loose against every house is the waters of the judgment of God. And on that day, may our house be built well. On that day, may it be found in the solid rock that is Jesus. That's why I say rather the floodwaters of financial crisis or physical illness, problems in the family, rather that water break against the house and it falls in the judgment of Almighty God, because then there's no more time to rebuild. Amen. That takes us to point number one, simple but selfish. Love might seem to begin spontaneously, but it must be kept alive intentionally might seem to begin spontaneously and there's a lot of stuff and we've fallen in love and there's a lot of emotion, but it has to be kept alive intentionally. We understand the concept. Do not let selfishness steal intentionality when it comes to your relationship with the person that you're supposed to be devoted towards. And again, the same with our relationship with God. Kind of as this spontaneous beginning, God comes, He saves us. And the feeling is new and we pursue God with zeal and with passion. But if there is no intentionality to add discipline to that relationship, it will fade away. Devotion without discipline does not exist or soon will not exist. It will fade 
away. There needs to be intentionality when it comes to the people that we love. I'm going to throw up six points on the board. There's a 12 aspects to our holistic relationships, but we'll start with six. Hopefully, if you're not married, you skip number two. But these are the six points. And I want to ask us a simple question. When it comes to these six points in your relationships, and again, not number two if you're not married, but when you look at these points, how intentional, if you can give yourself a point out of ten, how intentional would you say you have been this last couple of weeks to intentionally grow, foster, and keep the love alive in these areas of your relationship? Friendship. Did you know that your wife or husband needs to be your best friend? You need to do life together, friendly relationship. You want to do stuff together. I don't only want to build well number two and then long to go see my friends afterwards. That is selfishness. Because I got what I want now, I need to go get what I need friendly-wise with other people. That's not how it works. And in every one of these areas, there will also be a willing, selfless service that keeps the love alive, even when it comes to point number two. And I think many men these days don't understand this point. But if you approach number two with an attitude of selflessly serving your wife to make sure that she gets what she needs, things will change. For the best for a lot of men out there. But it seems like number two should only be on the, the men's list. Something that the women just do. It's not the case. And also to tell you guys, when it comes to number two, and you might think, yo, Bian, I don't know if you should be intentional about it, you know. I don't know if it's something to pursue. You know, there's a whole thought going around that, you know, procreation is only to make kids. You only do that if you want kids. If you don't want kids, then it's sin. You can't have fun while doing it. <laughs> Not true. We read in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul writing, and he says, come together often. The wife has a right over her husband's body. The husband has a right over her wife's body. Do not deny this to one another. You might for a while stop being physically intimate if you agree on it so that you can devote yourselves more fully to prayer. Do you understand this? That if it doesn't happen often, it should be because you agreed upon that so that you can pray more. It is actually assumed that it will happen often. Be intentional because he says, but then come together soon after so that Satan will not tempt you for your lack of self-control. Very, very important. But let's leave that for another sermon before we begin a second one tonight. Thirdly, spiritual. Husbands, when it speaks about Jesus laying down his life for the church and leading the church, what is the aim of that leading? So that she could be holy and blameless above reproach if you lead your wife well if you lead your family well the main goal is not success the main goal is not financial freedom the main goal is holy righteous without blemish before a holy god changes the way we lead that is the main goal it looks a bit different emotionally husband don't answer this one let your wife answer it for you we think we do better than we normally do. Intellectually, you need to have an intellectual relationship with your wife. You need to have an intellectual relationship with your husband. Intellectually, we have to challenge one another, speak to one another, 
changed years. God has called us together to do something. There's a calling that rests upon a relationship. You're supposed to have it. And then financial. Hopefully both parties at least know how the finances is managed and why it happens that way. One will be a lot better than the other one maybe at it. But there needs to be a relationship regarding it. The way we steward what God has given us. Not the way you steward what God has given us. But the way we do it. Here's the main responsibility rests with the husband. Even though the wife could do most of the budgeting. You know, some, like my wife, she's a bookkeeper. So she'll do a lot of stuff. Do all of that, you know, what, what's it called? Excel. Excel? Excel. Excel spreadsheet. And then come together, we discuss it, and then the, the husband still needs to give the final yes. This looks good. I think this is good stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. Excel zeker mag het werk. So we have to have that. So let's stand up tonight, and then we pray together. And I want us to, as we pray, look at these number of things. And when there is one that's rated below nine, then repent of it immediately. No, I'm just kidding. We can give ourselves a below six. If it's below six, repent and ask God for forgiveness because you're first of all sinning against God. Many times we think when it comes to our relationships and I don't want to willingly serve my wife, but I'm sinning against her. No, I'm sinning against God because he said serve your wife. My wife when I'm not being submissive to my husband, I'm sinning against him. No, you're sinning against God because God said submit to your husband in all things. So to first go to God and say, Lord, I am sorry and I repent of not being intentional about the relationship that you've entrusted to me in these areas. And then afterwards, you can turn to your fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and then you can tell them as well. Listen, I take responsibility. We've done that a lot for those of you who have marriage prep and enrichment. We're used to it by now. But to keep it going, to say, hey, I repent of this area. I'm going to be more intentional pursuing you in these areas and don't be stubborn i remember in the beginning people told me and as a husband you always have to pursue your wife and i was a bit stubborn i said no that doesn't make sense for me to have pursue her after i married her she has to be actively running away from me otherwise i'll catch her quickly it won't be a long pursuit but we know what it actually means i've learned that the hard way Let's be intentional in pursuing one another as we love one another in selfless service. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. And thank you, Father, that everything in life, Lord, you've laid out for us in your word. How to do relationships, Lord, what it's supposed to point to, where the source of our love comes from. We are not supposed to be completed by people, but by you, Lord. You are the one that makes us whole again, Lord. You are the one that gives that regeneration, that washing of renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit, Lord. That is only found in Christ. And yes, Lord, for every one of us here, Lord, that has had to bear that burden, Father, of being that complete and perfect partner to someone, Father, may we just shake off that, that yoke of heaviness. We were not meant to bear that, Lord. We're not called to be Jesus for people. But in the same sense, we repent, Lord, for not showing them to Christ telling no hey you can't expect that of me you you actually need God in this area I'm sorry for pride Lord we, we many times take that yoke on because we are prideful Lord. we want to do it all unable to submit and to yield to you 
And for the singles, Lord, repentance, Father, of approaching relationships based upon what I can get out of it. Maybe rather ask, Lord, but who can, resent, who can represent the meaning of marriage best with me? Who's the person that I'm willing to serve in selflessness for the rest of my life? And also to know, Lord, that the concept of dating in worldly terms, Lord, prepares us for divorce. This whole concept, Lord, of you know, having a relationship with someone, seeing if it works and if it doesn't suit my needs anymore, then I leave them and go to someone else. That is not what you've called us to, Lord. May we be intentional when it comes to the relationships we pursue for the right reasons, Lord, not to see if it works, but to simply see, Lord, but are we yoking together for the meaning of marriage? And if that is so, let's make a covenant relationship and then it will work. We will make this work in selfless service as we love one another to display the glory of Christ. And yes, Lord, we also pray for one another, Lord. May we have grace with one another as you have grace with us. Allowing us to fail, Father. Covering our weakness. Thank you, Lord. And may we be intentional, Father, in our relationship with you more than anything else, Lord. If we know, Lord, that it's even so difficult, Father, to maintain a good relationship and devotion with a God who is perfect, we know it will need a lot of intentionality when both of us are fallen, husband and wife. But thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.